We turn our attention now to the last four of the 16 steps. And I've called those liberating insights. So again, the Anapanasati Sutta has these four sections, the first being the prologue. The second section are these 16 steps to develop them. And then the third step, I mean, the third part of the Anapanasati Sutta is going to the four foundations of mindfulness and then seven factors of awakening. And we've been spending time on the, uh, the second part, the 16 steps. <clears throat> so the first four are establishing a relationship to being grounded in breath and body. Second four for calming mental activities. The third set of four are for developing samadhi, strengthening samadhi. And the last four are for liberating insights. If you look at your handout, these will be steps 13 through 16. So this is a... um, this is both uh, classical theory and classical practice um, to see the developing of samadhi on the one hand is a different practice than developing liberating, liberating insights on the other. And mindfulness is used for both because mindfulness is getting real-time feedback, real-time insight into what's happening in the present moment. And you can use that to adjust your practice of samadhi. But you can also use mindfulness to then developing these liberating insights. And it's seen as more productive um, in the long term to do practices that um, engender samadhi and then turn the mind that has some basis in samadhi towards the practices that generate liberating insights than trying to do them at the same time. What we inherited from uh, Burma was a very specific, Burma and Thailand, um, was a specific time when they were combining those two practices and giving them to lay people who didn't have time to spend months in monasteries. So we've now been um, practicing with these two meditation practices merged right in uh, um, awareness of breathing, for example. But classically, they usually would spend time developing samadhi and then time developing samadhi um, vipassana. And that's actually reflected in this classical text First develop, the first 12 steps are developing samadhi, and the last four steps are developing vipassana. So the way that works is um, it's hard to actually it's hard to actually submerge yourself enough in experiences that cause the liberating insights enough that your basic perception of the world changes. And that's often what we're waiting to have happen is that we practice and keep practicing and then we get to know the world so well that we see it more clearly and then we steer clear, we steer out of trouble. We don't get ourselves in trouble because we see things more clearly. And because we're usually more agitated in daily life, the apasana part of our practice takes longer to mature. And yet if you actually can stabilize your intimacy with the world, and then ask a few pertinent questions. You'll be able to see clearly the nature of things and your confusion will kind of um, break apart in your mind and you'll just see things more clearly. 
that's the role of developing samadhi is to make your your mindfulness really steady so you can ask these vipassana questions you can do these vipassana investigations that change our our basic understanding of how the world works and because we have some confusion we get into trouble and that's the role of vipassana is to dispel our confusion so these first 12 steps stabilize our intimacy they remove the confusion corrupt the confusing corruptions of mind that agitate and um, keep us haggard and confused and then we turn that mind towards vipassana meditation so the way that works <clears throat> is the first thing is you begin investigating impermanence and the way you do that <clears throat> is it's all things have always been impermanent, but your mind has not um, taken up that aspect of experience. And so you don't make things impermanent. They've always been impermanent. But the way that our attention is organized is we just don't highlight that factor. So um, if I were to ask you again to... Um, <clears throat> look at the shape of this striker for the bell, you could see the shape. But you see the shape because you're looking at the color. The color reveals the shape. There is no shape of this, stri- of this striker that doesn't reveal itself through its color. And if I ask you to look at the color, you would automatically see its shape. You cannot distinguish its shape from its color. But you could be really, really interested in the color and not really take much time understanding its shape. But you've been looking at its shape all along. You've been looking at impermanence since the moment you were born, but it hasn't been highlighted as something to take interest in. So even though you've had intimate contact with impermanence your whole life, we still treat things like they're permanent. And we get away with it until we don't. And when we don't, that's when we suffer. And then we get shocked when things end up being impermanent. And yet we're submerged in impermanence all the time. But somehow it doesn't translate into how we perceive the world. We perceive the world as, as static nouns, doing what nouns do. And all of a sudden they change and we're disoriented when they change. And yet again, things have been changing all the time. The universe is actually made up of, you might say, very slow verbs and very quick verbs, but there actually are no nouns. There are no static things in the universe. It's just some verbs are so slow they look like nouns. So <laughs> this is a verb. It's all process. This is heading towards dust. It's just it's doing it so slowly you get used to it in its non-dust form, and then it feels like it's permanent. But when this finally breaks, it was always going to break. And it's been breaking all along. This thing has been aging since it was crafted. But if you're not that intimate with it, it feels like, yeah, I get away with treating it. And it's so simple that way. Like, I can pretty much treat you like I treated you yesterday. And you pretty much behave like you did yesterday and the day before. So it's just easier. I don't have to store as much information. I get to know you well enough. I get to know the world well enough. And I treat it like that's how it works until it doesn't. And then my model doesn't work and I'm confused. And then I update my model to another static version of that's how the world works. 
but you want to actually be able to relate to the world as it truly is. It's fluid and dynamic. It's always been fluid and dynamic. It's just things are slow in how they are fluid and dynamic and some things are quick. That's just one example of where we're misaligned with the way things are. And we haven't highlighted that aspect of our experience. So what do we do in meditation? We end up highlighting that aspect of experience. You don't have to look anywhere different. You, you look right into the breath, right into the body, right into the mind itself, and you begin looking at its impermanent qualities. And it's shocking because it actually always has been impermanent. It's constantly knocking on the door saying, hey, by the way, I'm impermanent. Hey, by the way, you're not quite seeing me clearly because you keep referring to me like I'm permanent, but I'm letting you know I'm not impermanent. I'm not permanent. I'm impermanent. But we just don't like to kind of gather that information, so we just keep throwing away the data and getting away temporarily with three things like they're permanent. So the very breath you've been experiencing, constantly changing. Go into the body sensation. It's a field of constant changes. Go into the mind. Oh my God, the thing is completely unstable. It's constantly changing. You can't, you can't stabilize a mood. You can't stabilize a thought. So nothing of this world actually is stable. And yet we still walk around with this sort of um, reflexive, deeply reflexive orientation that we're in a world of stable things and we get confused when they're not. So we investigate impermanence. And you actually have to investigate this because if you're just intimate with the world, you may not still pick up on the impermanent nature. It just may not occur to you. So you can go very deep into samadhi, be very intimate with the world, and still not be deepening the experiential level of impermanence. And so you have to steer your attention towards that. You have to take interest in it. So that's what we do with these next steps. <clears throat> is It begins with developing samadhi with the breath, stabilizing that field of attention, deepening your intimacy with the flow of experience. And on the one hand, it is stable. You can actually cultivate stability of attention with the breath, and the breath is very reliable. It can be very rewarding to be with the breath and be calm like that. And then you just look at it from another direction, same breath, but you begin to say, can I take note of the arising quality of this stream of experience? It's happening all along. Like <clears throat> my voice is constantly changing. Otherwise I would just pick a tone, play it, and that would just be it for the day. You'd get one note played coming out of my mouth. All these things are constantly changing. But can you take interest in that facet of experience that this moment has freshly arisen and this moment has freshly arisen and this moment has freshly arisen? If I point it out, you're like, oh, well, now that you pointed it out, that's kind of true. Yeah, this moment has freshly arisen. The light coming in my eye is coming in my eye right now. It's not coming in an hour ago. That I see you all is because fresh light is entering my eye. It starts as kind of an intellectual truth, but if you actually go into the stream of experience and you can steady your intimacy, you're like, oh yeah, 
To have visual experience, it's happening right now. To have auditory experience, it's happening right now. Feeling anything in my body, I'm feeling it because it's happening right now. I can't actually feel something from yesterday. If I, you know, I hit my thumb with a hammer yesterday, it'll ache today, but the aching is fresh today, caused by something tomorrow, but really I'm actually, I mean yesterday, but I'm actually feeling the throb of the pain right now. And so you actually have to bring this forward and then practice seeing the world through this lens. And what you'll experience is that the mind actually gets quite sober. It gets kind of vivid to see arising, 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 arising. And this sort of like kick back dullness of sameness that allows us to kind of like, yeah, it's the same thing. It doesn't really matter if I check out because five minutes ago, it's kind of like five minutes from now. I'm just going to coast here. But when you get into the vividness of arising, 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 your mind brightens in that type of unknown, the freshness of experience. It also gets a little unnerved because it's been kind of relying on sameness and predictability, even though nothing ends up being same or predictable, but we can coast there kind of asleep at the wheel. So you get this vividness, but you also get this insecurity. It's a different mode of being in the world. We don't know what's going to arise next. Yet, it roughly arises kind of like this. So it's not that scary, but we really don't know what's going to arise next, and that begins to make us anxious. From our previous perspective, where we draw security over sameness. So you have to let go of trying to get your security from sameness. And what you get is actually um, the security of being able to dance in the fluctuations and enjoy the fluctuations. If you went to a concert and they walked out and the guitar and the keyboardist put their finger on middle C and held it there for two hours, so reliable, nothing changed, just middle C the entire time. We all like, ah, that's lovely. Who wants to go to a concert like that? They could be the greatest people ever. And they press middle C, it's boring. It's it's not what you go to a concert for. Very the things you really love about life when you feel most alive, it's because they're dynamic. And you, it's, it's vivid. It's just, you have to deal with the insecurity of it. But that ends up being where the security comes from, that you don't know. But you want to develop a mind and a heart that's agile, and that's fresh, and is not leaning on the crutch of letting things be, or trying to make things permanent. You begin actually uh, being oriented to this grand fluctuating universe. And when the universe fluctuates, it actually is rewarding. It's like, oh, I know this place. It fluctuates. So it should fluctuate. <clears throat> My, um, the car that I bought in 2001 keeps getting older. <laughs> From one point of view, that's disturbing. From another point of view, of course it's going to keep getting older. How could it not? One point of view, I'm disturbed by reality. Another point of view, reality keeps showing me its reliability. Of course, it's not going to get newer. It's going to get older. This body is going to get older. Every time it gets older, from one point of view, that's anxiety-provoking. Another point of view is like, oh, we're right on schedule. It's getting older. It's about a 48-year-old body. Oh, that's, that makes sense. Okay, everything's actually right in the universe. Nothing's actually too weird. 
everything is changing and everything is aging. So from the right point of view, wow, that's actually reassuring. That's how things actually work. And then you're in the flow of how things actually work. You're seeing clearly, making choices, seeing, you know, making choices from actually uh, actual perspective of how things work. We're not doing that, which is why we find reality stressful. Because we like this, this uh, orientation towards sameness and predictability. So not, we like permanence. The other thing we like is I want things to be satisfying and I want the satisfaction to last. And I want to be able to keep the satisfaction. Even if I'm holding on to the memory, I want something about that to be lasting. So I want my peak experiences to last. If you're intimate, you see peak experiences come and go. That is their nature. It's totally natural. That's how it works. Good experiences come and go. Bad experiences come and go. It's not so predictable which one you're going to have, but either way, they're going to come and go. Then you actually get to have good experiences, but you don't cling to them. They come and they go. Bad experiences come, and they don't throw you as much because they're, they're impermanent also, and you're kind of expecting them. Bad experiences happen. Oh, look, here's another one. That was painful. Yep, right on schedule. That's how, that's how it all works. So that's where we want to point our intimacy. And in developing samadhi, there's a lot of relief of just the haggard nature of the mind being confused or baffled or tired or grumpy or whatever it is. And you can smooth that all out. But you've just made things dormant. All those frustrations can grow again if you have wrong view. And so you want to be able to actually take out... It's like um, there are these really tenacious weeds that grow in my garden. I don't know if you have them, but like, I think they're called uh, thistle. And once they get in, they're very hard to get out because the roots are really, really dug in deep and they just keep growing back. You snap them at the surface and they just come back like seven, like a hydra. They, just, like, they, they multiply when they come out. So you actually need to go into the soil where the roots are, where everything's dormant, and you need to change the conditions so that they don't thrive. And that's what we want to do with Vipassana. We want to see the world clearly so that our delusions don't have nourishment. Our delusions have nourishment as long as we believe in permanence. Our delusions have nourishment as long as we believe in lasting satisfaction. And our delusions have nourishment as long as we believe this experience is happening to a coherent self. There is a temple that woke up this morning and he's the same person sitting in front of you and later on he's going to have different experiences. I believe that there's actually a solid temple to which his life is happening to. That temple carries the burden of his entire life. And so he had better have a good one because if he's going to have 80 to 90 years worth of experiences, that's a lot for one person to carry. So then I got to stress out about making sure that temple's life works out because it's happening to him. But when you actually investigate yourself and you become very intimate with yourself, it's all changing. What would, I, what would I call a temple? What would I call a fixed temple carrying the burden of his life? It's just, here I am now, and I am this in front of you all, and here I am now. I'm actually not the same guy. I'm similar, but I'm not the same, and neither are you. And so a whole bunch of burden begins to come out of your system when you stop trying to make it lasting in terms of self. That one is a little harder to access, and so maybe you, you have access to that one. 
But the other two, about impermanence and satisfaction, that's actually, we can get there in daily life. And that's where we want to steer our attention to really, you can actually get to the place where you celebrate impermanence because you're just celebrating reality. I bought an iPhone. I got an up upgrade from an iPhone, put it in my key, put it in my pocket with my keys and scratched the surface. So, took it out. I was like, ah, not a scratch, right in the middle. Right in the middle. Ah. So from one perspective, bad news. From another perspective, like, hey, I, look, reality. Of course. Of course it's going to age. And I dropped that phone, cracked the glass, got it replaced. Brand new. Oh, I love it. I love it. No scratch. And I have anxiety about the first scratch. I'm not new at this game. I'm not new at this game. But I can already feel this, like, primitive animal temple who really wants the next iPhone not to ever scratch. I want, you know, if I buy a new car, I'd want it never to have scratches. You know, that's the way the mind works is that it kind of wants things to go a certain way, but it doesn't want reality. And it thinks reality is actually a bad trip, a bad ride. You can actually become so intimate that you are fascinated by the actual ride. How many of you are stressed out because we go around the sun? Can you imagine there was a time when that, when that was just unthinkably disturbing that we go around the sun? We've come to terms with it. And it actually is kind of fascinating. It's kind of fascinating, right? Wow. That's how stars work and plants around. It's like, who, who should not be in awe of that reality? But a, there was a time when we were freaked out by that because we wanted to be at the center of the universe. and That was important to us. We're not troubled by that now. When you go through these Vipassana insights, they're only painful from the wrong view. And Vipassana insights tend to challenge our, where we're instinctively going for security. And then we begin to be intimate with reality. And it's unnerving until we can breathe and become comfortable with that. And then, not only is it not unnerving, it really turns into awe. And then the type of ease that comes because you're actually, it, everything works so much better when you actually are working with reality. Again, imagine a car, you turn it sideways and you drag it down the road sideways. Like if you turn that just a little bit and drive it, it the whole thing works better. So it's like, yeah, I know but my whole life I'm dragging it sideways. I'm really comfortable with that. It's like, oh my God, that's so much work. It actually, if you do this, Watch it go. So all of you on the other side of Vipassana Insights have a fluidity, a joy. You don't get hung up. You don't have as many fears about getting hung up. All this stress comes out of your system because you were misaligned with reality. And this is what we're waiting to do in this tradition is have these Vipassana Insights begin to mature in us. And it takes time for them to mature. So because you want to get free as quickly as possible. Who doesn't? There are ways to coax that. And the way you coax it is you practice, you get intimate with reality so you're not spinning uh, too much inside. Put your, your agitations and confusions into some quietude. And then take that mind and begin really savoring the arising and passing of experience. The arising and passing of experience. So you begin 
first with the arising, the arising, the arising, the arising. Like you're sitting in this like one sunrise after another. It's just in awe. Look at it all. It just keeps arising. It just keeps arising. It keeps arising. Then you get into the passing. Oh my God, it's just all going. It's going. It's constantly going. This moment, gone. Never to be experienced again, ever. We will never experience that moment again, ever. It's clean. It's gone. So is all the words I just spoke. They're clean. They're gone. No, no residual. No sticky after anything. It just keeps going and going and going. That's unnerving if you want things to be a little bit more lasting than that. But you get comfortable. Draw your attention there. Become intrigued by it. Bathe in this impermanence. And it's a little unnerving. Let it be unnerving. Breathe with it. Soothe yourself. And keep deepening your intimacy with the arising, passing nature of experience. And there comes a point where it becomes more and more familiar and you go through the five stages of depression or whatever around the changing paradigms and then it begins to actually inform you and it begins to be how you perceive the world and then you realize, oh, it's impermanent. Oh, of course there's aging. That's how these things work. Oh, okay. And then you begin to live with that perspective. It becomes more second nature. Just like you're hearing English right now because you trained in it but you don't train it anymore. It's reinforcing. You just keep hearing English and actually is more and more reinforcing. Same with impermanence. It becomes like a second nature that you just start walking through a world of impermanence, but it's not unnerving and it's not, it's not couched with loss. It's more couched in awe that this is actually, you're just seeing things clearly. And then you realize that you kept bumping into walls and you kept setting yourself up for frustrations because you had this previous view. And it seemed right to you at the time. But when you actually allow your mind to deepen in this other perspective, it doesn't throw you. And you don't trip up. And you don't create expectations that disappoint you. You create appropriate expectations that things will change. And when they do, they validate. That's what, we're, that's what we want to do with Vipassana. And it may not come automatically just through samadhi. I was talking to um, this Burmese teacher, Saida Utejaniya. I asked him about this in his tradition, how he teaches. And he said he just wants people to be so intimate that truths just stand out. And so for him, he doesn't do a lot of this coaxing. And he believes when the timing is right, you're just so intimate that the world just teaches you everything you need to know. And I believe that for him, he's seen that work for people. The way I was trained was to really actually do this work. It's like going to a gym with the five-pound weights, and you're just like, really? you got to do this all day long? It's amazingly tedious. But notice arising, 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 arising. What's arising? What's arising? It's arising. It's arising. The mind is arising. Thoughts are arising. Sounds are arising. Like, okay, really? More? Okay, arising, 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 arising. Wow. Wow, everything is arising. Right, everything's arising. This moment is completely fresh. Then it's actually, wow, everything's rising. Like, what's going to happen next? Like, get your popcorn. Like, what a ride this is. Who knows what's going to rise next? Like, oh, a bird call. Who knew that was going to happen? What's going to happen next? Like, oh, somebody coughed. What else is going to happen? Oh, that thought. Oh, who knew that was going to happen? What's going to happen next? And you're sitting there in awe of all this arising. 
And then you train in passing. Passing, 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 passing. Passing, 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 passing. Passing. Wow. It's all passing. Wow, it's all passing. That bird call just passed. That cough just passed. That comet just passed. Oh, the day is passing. Mm, the sun just passed. That's all passing. That thought just passed. It's passing. Ah. And let that mature you and you feel a little ache in your heart. Oh, it's a lot of loss. Oh, it's always been true, actually. It's not new. I'm actually surprisingly comfortable because it's always been true. It's always been passing. And then you feel this relief sweep over you. I don't need things to be permanent. And I don't have to fight against these truths. I get the awe of the arising and I get the sweet relief of all the passing. And you can actually mature this in you, like a practice, like learning English, like doing all the work you're doing. So you investigate step 13. And again, you don't have to then do a whole different practice. It's right there. You already, in, you already have samadhi right in the stream of experience. Looked one way, it's reassuring, it's restful. And in the same stream, you just start asking the question, you start inquiring, what's arising? Is this arising? Is this permanent? And then you begin to see, it's, oh my God, it's all shaking. It's all fresh. I'm not aware of anything two minutes ago. What I'm aware of is happening now. Without much coaxing, this brings about dispassion. And we all love our passions, and so this word dispassion can be, um, again, kind of unnerving. But it really is like a non-drama. That might be a better way to translate this word viraga, this Pali word viraga, is just all that exhausting drama, the for and against and the for and against and the, you know, the swirl of all this agitation begins to cool out. And there's still room for doing beautiful projects that are worth doing, but they're not driven by this intense compulsivity, the for and against. So a certain type of agitation begins leading. It's all impermanent. It's almost like sitting by a waterfall. And on one hand, the, the waterfall is so steady, you can be soothed by it. And you look at it another way, it's all ever-changing. And you look at them together, and it's just very soothing to be with this water that keeps falling over and over and over and over. And it's cooling. It's cooling. And it's relieving. The outcome is relieving. Sometimes the transition points get a little unnerving, but when you actually get into it, it's like, oh, it's just, it's just fluidity and no solidity. And it's actually fine. It's fine to be fluid. And there's less room for this, uh, these battles for and against and trying to make things permanent that can't be and then being so disappointed when they're not. So if this is not clicking for you, you just stay in the arising and passing and then you see like, What's worth really getting tied knots over, given how impermanent everything is? is it, and you begin to kind of scan, like, yeah, where would I really throw a fit? Like, well, what would I be throwing a fit about? It's all impermanent. So why, why, why am I getting so stirred up about this or that? So you can coax it a little bit. But if you deepen into impermanence, this dispassion or non-drama begins to uh, grow very easily the fifteenth step is to really look at cessation. And that's where you really focus not on impermanence, but ending and how 
eternal in how complete endings are. Endings are, we don't go in cycles. Things end. And sometimes there are patterns that seem to repeat, but we really don't ever come back to where we've been before. And you mature your relationship to this vast stream of endings and endings and endings. And one image that works for me is sitting at the top of a waterfall and just watching the water go and go and go. And the entire river just keeps going and going and going. And this is a difficult one because we're instinctively drawn towards holding on to things for security. And the things that were deep, 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 deep holding on for security are hard to imagine they're going to end. But if you see, they're actually ending all the time. Because it, let's say I was really into this striker. I only know it through touching it and through seeing it, maybe smelling it, but I won't smell it. Touching it and seeing it, but that data is already gone. And now here it is fresh again. And that's gone. And here it is fresh again. And it's gone because I'm seeing new light. The light that I saw, how I could even know the striker keeps ending, but it's replaced by something new. But you focus on the endings. You mature your relationship to the endings. And you go through a little bit of depression, a little bit of unnerviness from your previous perspective. You stay with endings until you, they begin to be peaceful. I worked a year uh, as a volunteer in a hospice ward. I was so much happier after that year. And you think that much more contact with dying and death would have been a hard burden to carry. But I got lighter and lighter and lighter. It's the same process. You focus on endings. It's unnerving. You steady yourself. You get friends supporting you. You focus on endings. You go through your your shakedown around it. And then at some point you take a breath and it's actually okay. For all of you who have uh, lost a parent or lost a loved one, it's hard at first. And maybe it's even hard a year or two later. And it doesn't necessarily get easy, but the loss turns into tenderness. And... Um, I don't know, appreciation for who that being was. It takes a time for it to mature, but at the end, it, so much appreciation can come as opposed to just that, the shock of the grief. So you focus on cessation and not, there's long-term cessation, like the pyramids are heading their way very slowly towards cessation. There's person by person over many decades, but also there's moment by moment cessation. Your lunch is gone. The flavors are mostly gone. That's another thing that's proving itself. It's gone. You have to mature your relationship to things ending. And when you mature, the moment you can actually rest in endings and find peace, although you're in a universe of nothing but endings, and it becomes timeless, things have always ended, things always will end. On distant stars, things, planets, things are ending. It's all about endings. This entire universe is made up of endings. You breathe there, you feel the relief. And then what you realize is that there is never, there is no ground anymore for clinging. There's no ground. There's just, it, the, there's no root. The roots cannot grab onto anything. Once you mature into cessation, there's no room for craving and clinging. And all the strategies that grow out of craving and clinging, they just sort of dangle there, these roots in space. They can't suck up any water. They can't suck up any nutrition. They can't hold themselves on when winds blow. This plant is just sort of like hanging out there in space because of cessation. And because of that, all the afflictions, all of our afflictions are rooted somewhere in permanent satisfaction or self. 
So that's a whole other teaching, a whole other day. But if you actually go deep into impermanence, you take out permanent satisfaction and self. You're left with impermanence, temporary satisfaction, and non-self. And then all the afflictions, all the dramas begin to wither, and they're no longer dormant. They've got no room to grow. They've got nothing that can feed them. And so they atrophy and they fall away. And what's left is actually all the beautiful qualities. Beautiful qualities actually do quite well with impermanence, non-satisfaction, and non-self. Love actually gets better. Patience gets better. Wisdom gets better. All the things that are beautiful begin to actually flourish with these three characteristics. And all the afflictions begin to uh, lose their strength because they can't, they, they're drawn on wrong view. These wouldn't automatically happen just with samadhi practice. And if you know the story of the Buddha, he trained in samadhi, had an intuition that he still had dormant afflictions, went on to practice, had insights, and then taught samadhi is really beautiful because it stabilizes you, but you have to do vipassana. And classic vipassana is looking at these three characteristics, impermanence, non-lasting satisfaction, and no coherent lasting self. That's where you want to point your practice. You want to study the self so you see it's nothing but dynamic change. You want to study satisfying experiences to watch the, to watch the satisfaction fade. You want to see that things are constantly rising and passing, especially passing. So that's where our practice is heading. <laughs> that's where we go next. Isn't that great? Yeah. Boop, boop. <clears throat> it's also, I mean, you, you're all returning, so you've, you've been exposed to this, if not already had some good insight into it. But a part of you can already like resonate, like, wow, it is true, and that is where my fear lies. And so if I could get free there, I'd be free of a lot of anxiety. And the classic way to get out of that is try to think, make things more permanent, not get more comfortable with impermanence buy a better phone, a better car, find a better partner, a better house, a better job to give you this better sense of permanence. So we start doubling down on the thing that's going to actually set us up for more frustration. So you want to go in the other direction, get more comfortable with impermanence, get more comfortable with endings. So let's practice this a bit in a sitting and walking session. We'll come back and we'll have some uh, last dialogue about this, the four foundations and the seven factors. So if you want, you can turn that off. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.